It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. It's Monday, August 24, 2020. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. Two students on the Mount Edgecombe High School campus have tested positive for the COVID-19 virus. MEHS Superintendent Janelle Vanoss says they were tested when they arrived in Sitka. The school received the test results on Friday. Our plan kind of worked just how it was supposed to, is that we had two students that were very unaware that they had the virus and or that they would, you know, test positive. And um, they did indeed test positive, so we were able to isolate them right away. The students were asymptomatic at the time of testing. Vinas says they also isolated all students who were in close contact with the two students who tested positive and notified parents accordingly. The two positive cases will not alter the state boarding school's plans for reopening. The possibility of students testing positive upon arrival is built into MEHS's reopening plan. Most students arrived in Sitka last week with a final charter plane arriving Saturday night. All students were tested for COVID-19 on arrival. Vinas says all students are isolating in their dorm rooms until all of the test results come back. Then students who have tested negative get to open their social bubbles slightly. They will be able to interact in a small cohort. And so these cohorts are set up with dorm rooms and close by dorm rooms. And they will remain, the student interaction will be to those small cohorts for the first, essentially the first two weeks. Students will all be tested again in seven days. They will only interact with their small cohorts for the first two weeks on campus. Vinas says the first two weeks are critical in limiting student exposure to the virus. After that, this campus will loosen restrictions a bit, though regular testing will continue. A quarter of the student body will be tested every week throughout the school year, meaning every student gets tested at least once a month. And students who live in Sitka and commute to campus will test weekly along with faculty and staff. Vinas says they've been working on the intensive Smart Start plan since May. Even so, she says they'll continue to be flexible. Nothing in the time of COVID-19 is set in stone. Now that we're in it and we're executing our plan, we're relying on a really solid plan, but we are still having to make decisions every day. Vinas says a handful of families decided against sending their children back to school this year. Should those students decide to return next year, they will be automatically accepted. And she says the students who are returning to campus are excited, though some are anxious about starting the school year. They're being so far really great about following the mitigation uh, practices that we've asked. It's just masks have not been a problem at all. Kids are being very compliant with mask wearing. Um, Social distancing, sometimes we have to do, you know, we have to do a lot of reminding with that uh, because they are anxious to see their friends. Uh, However, I think everybody knows that it's really important that we get through this transition time in order to make a, a, a solid good year for us. MEHS begins its school year today with orientation and classes start on Thursday. Sitka health officials announced one new coronavirus case Friday. The Sitka woman is in her 60s and was experiencing symptoms when she was tested on August 17th. She is now isolating at home, according to a city press release. She is the 37th resident to test positive for the coronavirus in Sitka. Fifteen non-residents have also tested positive. One person has been hospitalized and four cases are active, according to city data. Officials received her test results three days after she was tested. Most new patients have been receiving their test results faster than they were in July, even if those tests are processed out of town. At a Sitka Unified Command meeting on Wednesday, Search's chief medical officer, Dr. Elliot Brule, said that both testing capacity and turnaround time for test results have improved in recent weeks. Our testing supplies are strong. We have increasing supplies of uh, test kits, average turnaround time, Um, for send-out tests currently is at 70 hours, and it's been at that level now for the last 
uh, a couple weeks, and it continues to fall slowly. Rule said Search is set to receive new lab equipment and hopes that by September they'll be able to process most test results in-house, which means even faster turnaround times. He said the hospital continues to work with Mount Edgecombe High School on their reopening plan and how they will isolate students should they test positive. Sitka School District Superintendent John Holst says they're still planning to reopen school at the end of the week. Whether they stay open is contingent on the number of new cases in Sitka in a two-week period, but Holst says the district's plan is flexible. Number 12, which is our movement into red is not a hard line, that it is a guideline, that there could be all kinds of circumstances under which we would not consider 12 or 13 or 14 a disaster because uh, I, I personally think that the number of current live cases, infections, is an important number because if we've got 15 in the last 14 days but there are only three people that are infected in our town currently. That's an important piece of information. The Sitka Unified Command is reporting four active cases of the virus. Hull said the last thing he wanted to do was abruptly shut down all schools only to reopen them after a few days. Officials in Cake reported four new cases of the coronavirus Friday. The town's mayor, Lloyd Davis, announced via Facebook that all four patients received testing on Saturday, August 15th. The Kupernoff Island community of around 500 people reported its first case on August 10th. On August 14th, the Alaska Department of Transportation announced that five passengers who boarded the state ferry Matanuska in Cake were positive for COVID-19. In total, eight people have tested positive for the virus in Cake, according to local officials. Cake officials said they didn't know whether those cases were connected to any of the cases on the ferry. Four of those cases in Cake are considered active. The town's health clinic is conducting free testing for all residents on Saturdays from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Those with COVID-19 are required to isolate for 10 days following a positive test result. Following the town's first reported case, Cake's mayor restricted most travel in and out of the community. All travelers must submit paperwork to Cake's mayor two days prior to their scheduled travel date. At last count, the state of Alaska was reporting over 5,400 cases of COVID-19 statewide. That includes nearly 200 hospitalizations and 30 deaths. Around 70 percent of those cases are considered active. Alaska's ballot measure one is shaping up to be a big fight. The Citizens Initiative seeks to increase the production tax on Alaska's three biggest oil fields, all on the North Slope. Proponents say it will help address the looming budget deficit and give Alaskans what they call a fair share in oil profits. But opponents, backed by oil companies, say the plan will drive investment away and that higher taxes are bad for business. Corinne Smith with KFSK in Petersburg talked with both campaigns and has this report. Supporters of Alaska's Ballot Measure 1 are calling it the Fair Share Act and see it as Alaskans getting a fair deal in profits from the oil industry. Robin Brenna is an Anchorage attorney and chairs the Fair Share campaign. We need more of our oil wealth to stay in Alaska. We need our fair share of oil to stay in Alaska. And if it does, it'll make a huge difference. Opponents say raising taxes will dissuade oil companies from investing in Alaska and cause oil jobs to be lost. Bill Corbis is a former Alaska Revenue Commissioner and a member of an opposition group called Keep Alaska Competitive. We see this as discouraging investment, uh, therefore revenues to the state of Alaska uh, falling off. As written, Ballot Measure 1 seeks to bolster oil tax revenues for the state by taxing its three biggest highly profitable oil fields on the North Slope, Alpine, Kuparik, and Prudhoe Bay. 
If passed, it would raise the tax from 4% to 10% on the gross value of Alaska's crude oil up to $50 per barrel, with a slight increase as prices rise beyond that. The initiative would also eliminate tax credits to those big three fields and require companies' tax filings to the Alaska Department of Revenue be made public so that people can see how those fields are performing. Brenna himself is one of the architects of the ballot measure and sees the transparency piece as crucial. I don't know about you, but if I'm in business with somebody like we are in business with these producers and they're producing our oil from our land, we should have the right to know uh, what the revenues, uh, costs, and profits are associated with each field. The Yes on One campaign estimates new revenues could be over $1 billion a year, even with oil prices fluctuating. Though the tax revenues could not be directed into any specific fund, like the Alaska Permanent Dividend Fund, for example, they say it would help the mounting budget deficit and help pay some of Alaska's bills. PFDs are a third of what they should be. We've had massive cuts to essential services. Uh, the ferry system in southeast Alaska doesn't even reliably provide service anymore. Opponents of Measure 1 agree the budget deficit is a problem, but they say current oil revenues are enough, like royalties and other taxes, which added up to roughly $2.6 billion last year, according to the Department of Revenue. Alaskans shouldn't risk oil investors fleeing and without that investment, long-term oil production falling, says Corbis, the former revenue commissioner. If this initiative passes, our total government take will be much higher than, than our competitors. So why would the oil companies not invest where the tax regime is much less than Alaska? And that's what our, our real concern is. But the fair share campaign says there's no guarantee that companies like ConocoPhillips will make those investments in the North Slope rather than collect oil revenues and pay them out to executives and shareholders. ConocoPhillips is also a major donor to the largest opposition campaign, One Alaska, which has raised nearly $10 million to defeat the tax initiative. It's one of the most expensive ballot campaigns in Alaska state history. KFSK inquired with One Alaska numerous times by email and phone to discuss campaign finance, but they did not return requests for comment. Keep Alaska Competitive has not filed any campaign finance disclosures this year and would not answer questions about One Alaska's funding. The Fair Share campaign has raised more than $650,000, according to state filings, with about half coming from Brenna himself. Alaskans will vote on Ballot Measure 1, the North Slope Oil Tax Initiative, on November 3rd. In Petersburg, I'm Corinne Smith. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News. This is 